Welcome in to the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Friday, your weekend edition of the podcast. And boy, what a week it's been. Um, Eric, You, you, we were talking about what we were going to talk about on this show, and I think you perfectly put it where we need to start here, where a week ago today, we were literally thinking, hey, this Oregon team is going into back to a championship game. The Rose Bowl's on the line. Uh, rumors of Mario Cristobal are out there, but are they really serious? And a lot has changed significantly since those conversations. We were sitting in a hotel restaurant. I don't even remember which Las Vegas hotel it was because I got lost, admittedly, like walking through them because they're all connected. So it feels like they're the same hotel. Um, and we were sitting there talking about, oh, this Miami stuff. This is kind of interesting. And then we were trying to plan out, like, what's the future for the site? And then the, we kind of had to stop in our tracks because it picked up. And it suddenly became, this is something we really have to monitor. And as the day picked up, obviously, things grew. And it's just wild thinking. Now, just a week ago, what what the situation for this program is. And now you look up and go, I don't know if a single assistant coach is going to be on Oregon staff going forward. We've already seen three of them leave as head coaches. Others leave as defensive coordinators. Others are expected to follow certain coaches. Um, we've seen the majority of the recruiting class, not a majority, but like some really key parts take off. We've seen yesterday the first uh, actual transfer with DJ James, a very prominent part of this team transferring before a head coach is put in place. We've seen so many names run through as possible candidates. And we're five days into this coaching search and no definitive answers. And I, I don't think, I know we wanted to get into this part too about like whether or not Oregon fans need to be panicking, but I just for a moment wanted to kind of set the stage of how bizarre this week has been and how, because I don't know if it's been, I mean, I think it has been talked about a little bit, but we get so caught up in the moment of, okay, who's the next coach? Just to take a second to reflect on how wild this week has been. Honestly, having covered Oregon athletics for, I think, about six, seven years at a couple different stops. Matt has done it longer than I have. Jared's in about his third year doing it, first as an intern, and this is his first year as a full-time employee. Like, this is just absolutely, abs it's it's crazy. And I don't I don't think anything I can think of is even similar to it in terms of just the totality of how wild things have changed in such a short period of time. Um, and so if you're an Oregon fan, obviously you want to hear about the coaching search. We're going to talk a lot about that in this show because that's the only thing that really matters right now. But I wanted to just start by saying, just kind of reflect back on what a wild week it's been. And I know a lot will have negative connotations toward it, as you should, because Oregon went from being a team that could play in a Rose Bowl a week ago to a team now that who the hell knows what the future holds. Um, but boy, what a week it's been. And it's been uh, it's been fun doing these podcasts. I will say it's helped kept, keep me sane. I hope it's helped um, the listeners also kind of feel uh, like they're, I don't know, that, that there's a support group for you, that you're not all on your own. And this has been absolutely crazy. And we've been very fortunate on duckterritory.com to see so many new subscribers. Um, and the message board has been an absolute <laughs> blast because it's so active but also a lot of people are freaking out and that's understandable so hopefully we can i don't know quell some concerns maybe build some, maybe 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 we'll do the opposite i'm not sure how this will go but um it's i just wanted to start by kind of acknowledging how wild this has been and and if you're an oregon fan yeah this is fucking crazy I, <laughs> <laughs> um you after the game eric you said the program was kind of in limbo as we waited for the decision of Mario Cristobal. 
And I almost feel like even though we know the, the decision now with Crystal Ball, it's even more in limbo because – and you're right. This is cr- – the, the week and, and the swings that this program has taken in that seven-day period is as crazy as we've seen, at least back to the time period when Oregon won the Rose Bowl, Darren Thomas announces he was going pro, um, Chip Kelly leaves the football program to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers job and then kind of in a 24-hour period has a change of heart and comes back to Oregon. Um, That was probably the craziest, but this is probably more because Oregon legitimately, we all legitimately felt like there was a chance that they could get to a third straight championship and they could get to their second Rose Bowl in three years. And this was a team that, four weeks ago was a shoe in for the college football playoff before they faced Utah and got their ass kicked the first time. And now they don't have a head coach. Their offensive coordinators left to Akron to become their head coach. And Wilson has left to become the head coach at Nevada. Tim DeRuiter is off to Texas tech. He's bringing Marcel Yates. Um, DeRuiter will be the DC there. Yates will be a safeties coach there. Um, Mirabal, the offensive line coach, is going to go to Miami after coaching in the bowl game. Um, McClendon has been elevated from receivers coach to interim head coach, but he's being courted by Mario Cristobal. Um, They may not have a single staff member a week after. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's kind of the crazy part is it's not only is it – and look, when coaching changes happen, it's it's pretty common for a staff to be completely cleared out. But it's also pretty common that at least one, two, maybe three guys from the assistant coaching staff from the previous regime are held over by the new head coach. You usually typically see one to two guys still stay on, especially if it's not a firing. If it's right. literally just, uh, hey, this guy's leaving on his own accord, and now Oregon needs to hire a new coach. That that not even happened at Oregon, and so I, I'm curious. We're now five day. We're into day five of this coaching search. I think it's fair to say that the fan base is pretty restless. I don't know if they're panicked, but it's restless. Is, is it time to start getting a little worried that nothing has happened as of ten nineteen a.m. Friday morning? I don't think so. I don't think it's time to be worried yet. Uh, this is. This, these things take a long time, and Oregon is obviously playing this really close to best as well. Uh, we've only heard of three specific names who have been interviewed, and that's Kalani Sataki, the BYU head coach, Justin Wilcox, Kyle's head coach, and Chip Kelly, UCLA's head coach. And those are all requests for interviews. Um, I just I just think Oregon's taking their time. I'm not sure. I, I, it, I think it would be a bad idea for Oregon to hire into this thing real fast and try to save this class of 2022 in front of the early signing deadline. Um, There's going to be talent after the signing deadline. Um, There's still going to be time to recruit them as long as you make the right hire Uh, for, I get it why Oregon fans can be, can feel kind of freaked out about this, can be panicked because uh, geez, it's like the football life is flashing before their eyes right now. 
No mm-hmm. one is staying, whether it's coaching staff, no one is staying, whether it's recruits. Um, you know, it's a bad time to be an Oregon fan. It's probably a great time to be a Washington fan or a USC fan or, you know, who, whoever else you are in, in the Pac-12. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough time for, for Oregon fans for sure, but I don't think it's time to panic. I think that the longer that this plays out, I don't think it necessarily means that it's that's worse. I think Oregon, the athletic director, Rob Mullins, I think he's doing his due diligence. I think he's looking out for the future of the program, not necessarily just for the next two years or just this year's recruiting class and hiring somebody who's going to pick up all the proverbial pieces off the ground right now and then maybe lose them down the line. Maybe that puzzle gets broken even more, even more like in a year or two. Uh, so I think it's going to be – I think it'll be okay. I mean, this isn't be like – you know, being someone's best friend and be like, it's all good. It's all good. No worries. Um, on the back. There are some, good. Right. Exactly. There are some worries within the program and there are some worries just on a national level of who Oregon can court to come be their next head coach. Um, but I, I do think that Rob Mullins is taking his time. And I think that's a good thing for Oregon. I think he needs to take his time. I think to just go ahead and, internally promote somebody again to head coach would be the wrong answer here. I know uh, we've seen a couple people just saying for Brian McClendon to become the next head coach. And I don't think that would be a good move in Oregon's favor. McClendon is rather, you know, inexperienced. Obviously, he's inexperienced as a head coach. He's only been an interim for two games. Um, It's different than when you promoted Mario Cristobal to being a head coach because he's had head coaching experience in the past. So I think it's... I don't think it's panic time yet. If we're if next week, if we're here on a Friday and there's no coaching right. hire, then it's panic time. But I, I think something will be done by the weekend. Yeah, no, I, I think I think a lot of things in terms of the timeline of this. I think a fans have seen how quickly other schools have acted, and it has set a precedent of oh, it gets done in two or three days. Oh, USC went and got Lincoln Riley like. So fast, but it was that the case? How long was that going on behind the scenes? I mean, because his name popped up and immediately he was, like, yeah. Hap- like once yeah. his name was announced, it was oh, it, he's the guy. Like that, that happened quickly. Brian Kelly at, at uh, LSU, same kind of thing. Where it was, oh, his name's attached. Oh, he's their guy. Uh, we haven't seen that happen with Oregon. Oregon's had a bunch of names attached. Nothing's been finalized. I think people wanted and expected maybe this was going to happen quickly, and it hasn't. And that's and that's understandable. Um, the, the the pace that this takes that this happens at though. Like, do you want a rushed decision? What does oh. that say about this process? Um, and A, what does a rushed decision really look like? You know, I think you have to put in context of, is is a decision made in five, seven, eight days really a rushed decision? Or is it a decision that went through the proper channels, which is something that Rob Mullins made clear at the beginning he wanted to do. He was very critical of how Miami handled things through the back channels and not making contact. And you've noticed that Oregon has done everything above board based upon how they wanted to do business by right by the book he, he each step of the way this person has been said he has been contacted by oregon it's been put out there on social media via different sources and we have known kalani sataki justin wilcox chip kelly these are guys that oregon is, is interested in that's taken place that hasn't necessarily always the, that hasn't been the case at other schools so that's part of it too um i i would also say like i think there's a sense that Oregon's been told no by all the big by all the big candidates is, is what I, I, I keep seeing on the site is 
because Justin Wilcox and because Chip Kelly and Kalani Sataki, all of whom are quote unquote gettable quickly, right? Like these are names that you think Oregon can basically reach out to and just sign it and draft up paperwork and it's over. The fact that those are the names we know about suggests the quote unquote big fish have all kind of the ships already sailed on them and they've already taken off. I don't know that to be true. In fact, there seems to be some smoke that that's not the case at all. Um, and there also feels like you have to note that this is the time of year and this is how it works where do we know for a fact, and we'll get to some of this in a moment here because there's a lot to re reflect upon, but do we know for a fact, because all of this is sourced, do we know for a fact Oregon's top targets are even the guys we're hearing about or is just that those are the guys we know about, right? And so I think that's right. a part of it too. Is, is, is Those are the names that we know. And because we know those names, the sense is this is going really poorly because those are the, I think a lot of people think, and, and Jared and I have both been critical, Matt's been critical of if this ends up being Chip, if this ends up being Wilcox, that's going to be a little bit of a disappointment from where it felt like it was headed. Um, we don't know for sure that's where it's going at all, just because those are the names that are currently leading the search. Doesn't mean it won't be those guys. It very well could be one or two of those guys. But I just think you have to be aware of coaching searches. It's not all done publicly. Yeah, You're never going to know every step of the way what's happening. If, if that was the case, you'd be even more concerned. So I think there's a lot of stuff at play. And I think, frankly, nobody knows all the answers besides those running the search. And that's probably a good thing. Well, look at, look at Miami's coaching search for Cristobal. Like, all of those rumors got out. Nothing was spared. And right. there's so many leaks and how they were treating Manny Diaz and all of this and who they were going for in their athletic uh, for their athletic department and their athletic director opening role. Um, if, if Miami never got Mario Cristobal in this hypothetical world, like Mario stayed in Eugene, you know, Miami would have been trashed. They did. They were absolutely terrible in terms of uh, yeah. keeping things under wraps. Um, and you know, Rob Mullins even talked about it, how they 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 went through back channels to talk to Mario. They didn't contact him. They didn't, if, if Mario ended up staying, that would have been like national sports news. How they didn't contact Rob Mullins. How they just went behind his back to try to get a Mario Cristobal. Um, I think Oregon's doing the right things here, and. Again, whether or not that's the way to go, because it doesn't get you the guy that you really want, you know. Okay, but it's Oregon's doing this by the by the books, by the right type of books. And again, it's still too early in the process to to know if that's going to help or really hurt them. I I do appreciate the fact that Oregon is doing things by the books, but and asking for formal permission. But they've lost two coaches in five years because big boy football does not play by all the rules. They will bend them when it circumvents what's best for them. <clears throat> so part of that, I do kind of like, you know, like, look, if you're going to play by the rules, you can't be taken back and shocked then when, when something bad happens because the teams that win at a high level, they find ways to bend the rules. Um and I don't think it's time to panic like you guys have said because we're only in day five. And it's a great point by Eric that we don't know the full scope of the story yet. I, I do think there are two or three names that have either interviewed or will be interviewing here in the next couple of days that we just don't know about because it hasn't been leaked. 
And I can tell you right now, um, on a lot of the reporting that I've done, that, that has been done around the Oregon search, it's all coming from, it's mostly coming from people that are not inside that circle of Rob Mullins and the people he's leaning on to make this hire. It's through other schools. It's through agents. It's through people in the industry. It, Oregon has done a very good job of preventing leaks and controlling the flow of information on this search. And so we're looking at an in incomplete collection of data and judging it as if it is complete. And that is the one thing I would say here is, is that it's not time to panic like Eric and, and Jared have said and understand it's because we don't know the full story yet. And we won't know we won't know the full story even after they announce the head coaching hire, because who are his assistants? Who are his coordinators? Right. What does he do from a off the field analyst recruiting department perspective? What do we see there? And this is going to be a month long process. You get the hiring of the head coach done, and then it moves on to who they they bring with them. I think that kind of segues us to the names that we do know are out there and are involved in this search. And let's talk about Justin Wilcox getting interviewed. Is this a name that should be atop the board or where do we, where do we view him right now as the, the pecking order of what we know who's being interviewed? We've talked a little bit about Wilcox's name on this podcast. I don't think either of us, I don't think any of us have really been like sold. This would be a fantastic final destination. I think if you go on duckterritory.com, that aligns with the fan narrative as well. Um, I think this feels convenient. This feels like a guy who has great ties to the school, who grew up in the area, who is very connected with, some of the decision makers because of those connections I just mentioned because of his family, which is, I don't know, one of the most prominent football player families that the school's had. If you go just historically with him and his brother, and I think his parents before that and uncles and stuff, I mean, they've, this is a Wilcox family means a lot. If you look at the history of the program. So I understand all that. Um, I just have not seen anything in his coaching career as a head coach that leads me to believe this is a fantastic choice. Does it mean if he's hired, Oregon would be four and eight every year and you know, and it would be a complete disaster? I wrote in my story earlier this week that I could see a number of candidates having pretty good success with the players on the current roster initially, you know? And I think what how how I would choose to assess whatever hire takes place is give it four years. Because you know by year four what you've got. People felt pretty good about Mark Helfrich after the first couple of years. They're playing for national championships. They had a Heisman Trophy winner, right? That was with players from the previous staff, though. And, and, and he was on that staff, so Helfrich deserves some credit for kind of building some of that up. But once it became he's running the program and mm -hmm. it's his, it didn't work out. And that would be my concern with a Josh or Josh Wilcox. Well, that's his brother. With Justin Wilcox is... Could you have two really good seasons, three really good seasons with players that are currently on the roster? I don't doubt that. I think it'll be interesting to see also which players want to remain. 
what happens with the recruits? Does is, is it still that talented of a roster when all things are said and done, when everything's said in stone? How many of the players see that name and think that's who I want to play for? And I'm not saying that I might be totally off base. Maybe there's way more respect on this Oregon team for Justin Wilcox than I'm giving him credit for. Or maybe some people that are maybe some of the top players are going to take off. But I I will say there is talent in place right now, the way the roster is comprised, that I have no doubt that Justin Wilcox could win a bunch of games the first couple of years, or, or at least be very competitive in the Pac-12 North. I don't have any doubt of that. My concern is is going forward. And I would say, mm-hmm. I would also add, if he is the head coach, he better be bringing a top-level offensive staff with him. Because I have seen nothing from his Cal teams and having watched those games play out, that leads me to believe without ex- without a lot of help, he can lead a good offense. Like we just haven't seen it yet. Some of that was personnel driven at Cal. Um, I would have concerns about that. I really would. And so if you tie him with a extremely high end football mind, that offensive coordinator, and you surround him with great recruiting staff, m- maybe you can get there. I, I'm just, I continue to be pretty skeptical of if this is where it lands, that this is a great hire. I, I would say this, I would be skeptical if, if Justin Wilcox is hired in the next week or so. If in four years we're reflecting back and saying that was a really good hire, I'm skeptical of that being where I would be standing. I'm not saying it couldn't be good in 22, 23, maybe even 24. I just worry about the longevity. We've talked about Wilcox before. Um, I've made my opinions on him very clear. I think he's a great defensive mind. You see that from his Cal teams almost every single year. this year, they started out slow. They got a lot better towards the end of the season, both on offense and defense. Um, Wilcox as a defensive coordinator would be great. Yeah. That'd be that'd probably be his best position. And some guys are just better as coordinators than they are head coaches. And but you know, Wilcox has been a head coach at Cal for the last few years. That's a it's a good job. It's a power five job. He's shown that he can at least be. I don't know suitable to be a head coach at a power five spot. Um, he's had some good years, that's for sure. And I agree with Eric where, you know, the roster right now for Oregon is loaded. A lot of talent, probably more talent than Wilcox has ever had in his career at Cal by, by a lot. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I think he would do great the first two, three years. Um, but again, like Eric just said, it's after that, that is the issue. It's, it's right. It's the Mark Helfrich effect. It was what Mario Cristobal was going into mm-hmm. because this was the first year where, yeah, you know, these weren't, these, these were all his guys. Um, there weren't any Helfrich leftovers and weren't any Tagger leftovers. Um, and it was good because he's built up a whole lot of talent and he continued to look like he was going to do so in this next class. Wilcox to me, the same way that Chip, that Chip Kelly is to me is just the safe hire, and that can be beneficial sometimes to programs. Um, that may be what Oregon ultimately decides down the road. I just don't think it's the proper way to go about it. And to me, you could bring in all the offensive guys you want for Wilcox. You can go out and get—I don't know—you could try to go court Joe Brady to come in. Um, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily going to matter. I, I just don't see Wilcox being a guy who can lead Oregon to where they want to be, the trajectory that they were headed to. Um, 
and that's to me the, the the biggest point about all of this is that Oregon was on a on a on a path to college football playoff appearances. They were on a path to Rose Bowl appearances. They were in the Pac-12 championship game for three straight years. Um, I don't. I, it doesn't. I don't think it matters who you bring in on offense. I don't think Justin Wilcox can bring you there and have that level of sustained success for Oregon. And I'm not sure I see it from Chip Kelly either. I'm not sure I see it from Kalani Sitaki either. Um, Sitaki's been really good at BYU. Uh, he did have Zach Wilson for a year, which really helps. Um, they were great this year. I, From the three candidates that we know that have been requested to interview, if I had to pick a favorite, the only favorite, I would go with Kalani Sitaki because he's new blood. Just show me what you can do here. And because we've seen what we can get from Chip Kelly. He's literally coached at Oregon before. We all know this. And at UCLA, he hasn't – he's had all the resources that he could ever want. And he still has yet to recruit. He still has yet to field a good defense. He still, he still struggles with stuff that he struggled with 10 years ago. And his offense – his offense will always be good, no questions about it. But we know that. That's a given. It's a guarantee whenever you hire Chip Kelly to go somewhere. Uh, with Wilcox, we know what you're getting too. His, his teams can be good. They can give a lot of good teams frustrations because their defense is so timely and really well-disciplined and great uh, when they have upperclassmen. Those are tough defenses. We saw it in 2019 against Justin Herbert. We see it every year against Oregon, frankly. Um, at least Kalani Sataki would provide something new, a new blood to, the, to, to Oregon, just a whole different atmosphere. Um, but I still wouldn't like it as a coaching hire. As simple as that. Just feels like would, that's not the way that Oregon was going. I would lean, if I had to pick among those three, I would lean to Chip. I do think the recruiting stuff is a little overblown. Um, I yes, his he did not recruit well in his first four seasons at UCLA. But let's also not pretend that he hasn't landed three five-star recruits at Oregon. And prior to Mario Cristobal's arrival, they were basically the, the highest rated guys that they've signed at Oregon. I mean, Chip did bring the most electrifying college football player at Oregon in its history in D'Anthony Thomas. And that was one he personally recruited and stole from USC. So I don't think it's fair to say Chip can't recruit because we've seen him recruit at a high level at, at Oregon. That being said, you have to have reservations that can he get that mojo back to where he was recruiting at a high level because he did sign a couple top 15 classes. I think he had one top 10 class as well um, at Oregon. He's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to try and say he's even going to come close to competing with what Crystal Ball did because his history says it, it, he doesn't. Um, and I do think, look, our, our biggest gripes have been that the offense under Mario Cristobal has not utilized the talent that they have at its at their disposal to the best of their abilities. I mean, I think looking at what Herbert has done this season, what Herbert has done last year, and then seeing what he did at Oregon in his two years under Cristobal, they did not maximize his skill set. 
Taggart had a better had a better Herbert uh, than Cristobal did. They did not maximize that skill set. I think um, the rushing attacks have kind of gone down a little bit under Cristobal. So I think I think there are legitimate gripes to be made about the lack of productivity on offense under Cristobal. And the reason I bring this up is UCLA led the conference in scoring this past year and points per game, 36 and a half points. And in 2020, UCLA was second in the conference at 35.4, and they played seven games. It wasn't like a four-game slot for them. They played seven games that year. They scored 35, and they did it with a quarterback that I would put on similar terms of Anthony Brown and DTR. And so I, I, I do think early on in the Chip Kelly era, if it comes to that at Oregon – I think we would see really good stuff on offense. And the question just becomes, what can you do defensively to solve your problems? Because they aren't good there. They're bad um, under Chip Kelly. And Jerry Azanero, the defensive coordinator, former Oregon D-line coach, he he cannot be in that position. He can't be in either of those positions, probably at Oregon, if that happens. And I wonder if that's kind of the holdup with Chip is maybe he's trying to fight back some concessions that Oregon's asking him to make if he wants to come to Oregon. But if I had to pick among those three, I, I, I pick Chip. He's, he's, he's won before at this level, at, at a high level that we've never seen before at Oregon. His offenses are really good still in the Pac-12 this, you know, as of this season. And I think the Oregon marketing machine could help cover up some of the deficiencies from a recruiting standpoint. And, but I don't think they would, they would flirt with a top five class you know, on the regular, unless Chip does just a complete 180 in his philosophy there. Yeah, I think the not to push back entirely, but I th- I do think some of the recruiting success he had was based upon on-field success that they had had over yeah. a couple of years there. And he's stepping into a situation where he's going to have to prove that, that he's still that coach, that he can still develop offenses. Um, and that does, I'm not trying to detract at all with what he did at Oregon because he did bring in good players, you know. And I think, I think the thing that was frustrating as, somebody covering the program or as an Oregon fan at the time was you had teams that were finishing top five, but recruiting classes that were not anywhere near that. Um, and the sense was, Oh, you can't recruit to Oregon. Now it's been proven that you can. And so I think retroactively we've, we've gone chip Kelly is an awful recruiter when the reality is, is he's just a very average recruiter. Who's not going to recruit maybe at the same level. Um, not, and I shouldn't say maybe he's, he's not going to recruit at the same level as elite recruiting coaches. The team on the field can succeed at a high level based upon what he did at Oregon, but they never recruited and kind of maximized that opportunity. Um, the offensive statistic stuff, I was looking through this yesterday because I was I did a story um, kind of looking through the, the Oregon offenses. Um, Oregon un, in 2020 and 21 under Joe Moorhead had its worst two years of offense in about 20 years, if you look at it from a, just a t- statistical basis. So there's only room to go up. Um, I will also note that UCLA averaging 36 points per game, and again, some of this is just because of the kind of the, the way things have shifted, is still about two scores below what Oregon was averaging with Chip Kelly, believe it or not. Oregon's averaging almost 50 points per game, which is kind of absurd to think about. But that was what they were doing. And I know that was a new age offense. Defenses weren't prepared for it. Um, I bring that up just to say, like, Chip Kelly's offense might be good based upon the conference. It's still nowhere near what it was statistically under um, you know, when he was at Oregon for those sure. four years, um, all, all of these, I'm just pr- providing data points. I'm not pushing back entirely that because I, 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 I just like Justin Wilcox, I'm not going to say Chip Kelly would be my favorite of those three. I, I would, I'm probably with Jared of like, 
let's 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 bring in new blood. Let's try Kalani Sataki if those are the three choices. But Chip, I don't doubt, similar to Wilcox, that he could do really well for a couple of years. I have no questions about right. that. I think the offense could take a I think the offense could be really, really fun for a couple of years, especially if you know the Ty Thompson stick around and Byron Cardwell sticks around and Chris Hudson and all these players decide to stick it out. I mean, just think that could be really fun to watch. You know, Oregon could score a ton of points and be really fun, really tough to defend. They again, you need to find a defensive coordinator. And this is kind of like where, and this is where, by the way, I, I wanted just to bring this up. Um, we, we mentioned with Justin Wilcox, you better find a good offensive coach. With Chip Kelly, he better find a good defensive coach. And this is why that marriage has been put out there of does Oregon hire two Pac 12 coaches <laughs> and, and kind of have them co lead the program a little bit? One's in charge of offense, one's in charge of defense. Jared, does that move the needle for you at all? If, if we're going, because I know we're, we're all pretty lukewarm on these guys as individual candidates, but if you decide to pair them together, does that kind of make you feel like, well, like you're getting the band back together? Maybe Mark Helfrich comes back and is somehow an offensive coach or something right. too. Don like, does, Tom does, comes back it, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Don Tom, <laughs> everybody loves Don. Um, yeah, <laughs> but like, but but if, if some sort of conglomeration of all of these former Oregon connected coaches was like, does that make you feel any better, or are you really just kind of like that? Also feels sort of regressive. What's the point? Why do I need to hire two actual head coaches? I, I, I to me, I have always had this theory that some people are just better as coordinators, and some people are better as head coaches. Um, I feel like Chip is better as a head coach. Uh, I, I feel like uh, just like Wilcox is probably better as a head coach too. I, I don't feel like they would clash very well, and. Or excuse me, like I feel like they would clash all the time if you put them in like this. Basically, they would – I don't know how that would even work financially either. Like they're probably making basically the same amount of money. Um, I don't I don't think that it has ever worked well. Um, so, no, I'm out on that idea where you can just be like, ah, well, you know, this guy sucks at defense. This guy's really <laughs> good at defense but sucks at offense. Let's sandwich see, them it's together. It's like a peanut peanut butter and jelly. It's like the first time somebody combined peanut butter and chocolate, but I don't think it would taste nearly as good. Yeah, I'm, I, don't, I don't know. I I'm just so I'm so apathetic towards these three candidates. I'm kind of just I don't know, man. I we I don't know. I'm over talking about them because none of them excite me, and it's like, ah, uh, well, I guess Oregon can just be eight and four and maybe sometimes nine and three for the next six years might as well happen. I let's move on. I, I don't agree with, with that sentiment that they're just automatically going to be nine and three every year. Um, I, but well, I just don't I think, think we've reached the point where um, we're kind of just going to be going around the bushes here a little bit. Um, so let's, Let's move to the next, I think, the bullet point that we had. Um, Brian Harson is also a name that's being linked as having interest. Um, we don't know yet if he's interviewed. We also know that Phil Knight has a really good relationship with Urban Meyer, and there's those rumors out there with Urban Meyer. Um, they're Seems to be talk of an NFL name that's out there. We don't know if that's Urban Meyer or if it's somebody else, but is any of those names? I think obviously everyone would sign up for Urban. Maybe I would, um, but I don't think that's very realistic. 
does Harson do anything for you? He's not a guy that has Oregon ties, but he is a Pacific Northwest guy. He has won big at Boise State. He has beaten Oregon before. But Auburn, at the same time, also wants to get rid of him this season. But they can't. They can't afford it. Yeah, I've, I've never been huge on the Harris Harrison thing um, for a variety of reasons. Commendable success at Boise State. And actually, if you look at what he accomplished there, it stacks up pretty well compared to the other candidates we've talked about. I think maybe that gets overlooked a little bit because I think the knee-jerk reaction is hasn't been great at Auburn. It was never going to be easy to be a Chris Peterson replacement in terms of living up to those expectations, right? Um, and he didn't elevate Boise State, but I don't know how much further up Boise State could really go. And obviously the program isn't what it was six, eight years ago, and he was in charge of the program during part of that you know, process once Peterson left for Washington. Um, I don't think that name has the luster Oregon fans want or that I want either. Um, I'm not convinced he elevates you to the level you want to go. He has been a successful head football coach. Like, mm -hmm. Go look at the record. It's not awful at all. Um, he has ties to the Northwest from a longevity perspective, which again is something that I think is clearly central. It seems to be central in this, even though Rob Mullins said it would be a diverse national search. seems like they are kind of courting West Coast candidates. I don't think that's entirely by mistake. Could also be a coincidence that the three we know of just happen to be West Coast guys, and then Harrison, another name, happens to be a West Coast guy. Um, I don't think you hire purely because of geography. I think you also do keep in mind, though, like it's a tough thing to weigh of. I mean, this, I think it's a really challenging balance. And I, I want to say that. So for, for those listening, if you think we're just being really negative here, and I understand that, I think a lot of people right now feel that way. Um, it's a tough balance of do you want to go first? Who is the big candidate you could go get for X number of dollars from a non-West Coast schools that doesn't have West Coast ties that could take you to similar initial success that Mario Cristobal had to maybe extend it from a recruiting perspective. Like who are those names? I'm not sure they are exist right now. Maybe those are the mystery candidates. Um, I also think you can't fully, and this is where I've kind of been struggling of, you can't fully rely upon retainment as being like, as feeling like you can retain yes. this coach for the longevity as that's a focal point. Um, it can be part of the decision. But if you make a decision of this coach will be here longer than the other coach, that's a dangerous game to play with because you're talking about that's assuming that coach is successful enough on the field for you to want to retain him, right? Like it's one thing to say we're bringing this coach in because we don't think he's going to leave. Well, what if it gets bad enough where you have to let go of him because he didn't and now you're yeah. back to square one. So I understand the tough balance. I think Harrison is – probably kind of clumped in the same group there as the names we've just listed in terms of it doesn't really excite you much. I also note that like he did some pretty darn good things at Boise State if you want to look through the numbers and the success there. And like I might like that a little bit more than I like some of these other coaches. You also coach in the SEC, so there's some ties there. I know it's really brief to that part of the country. Maybe that can help you from a recruiting perspective. I know he's not an alpha recruiter. Um, just some thoughts I have there. I think that's a name that like it's interesting. I don't I don't totally, totally hate it. I wouldn't be jumping for joy if that's where it lands, but I don't know. 
I find that name interesting. I don't like it I, at all. He's very difficult to work with. Um, I don't think he recruits at a high level. Um, I don't think he he's struggling to recruit in the SEC right now. It's not a guy that hey he's he's recruiting at a school where it's difficult to recruit to. Let's wait and see what he's going to do when he gets to the the big boy level and. He's not. He's not winning there. It's it. It's not working out for them. And to me, if a guy, I mean, they're thirteenth in the SEC right now. They they only have five four star recruits, and that's not normal for for Auburn. Sure. And if to me, it's a big red flag that if in one year the school's already trying to get out of your contract, to me that that feels even worse than Chip Kelly to me. Like UCLA fans seems to be pretty okay with the idea of Chip leaving UCLA for Oregon. Um, going and doing, and that's a concern. Going and doing that year one from a guy is an even bigger concern for me. Oh, it's a huge concern. I agree with you. Um, I think it's an interesting name. Uh, he was really good at Boise State. I liked that Auburn took a chance and hired him. And was like, you know what? Let's see what this guy can do. Um, might not have been a good idea, but I do appreciate that they went and actually tried something different instead of just bringing in a recycled head coaching candidate, like like from every year. Um, yeah, he just he's the struggle with hiring mid major guys from Boise State or something like that is they. It's hard to recruit at Boise State, obviously. Um, and so that doesn't always – the recruiting capabilities doesn't always translate to the next school that they go to. Um, Chris Peterson did a really good job at Washington, but I think that's also a bit of the, the Washington allure, like how they are as a program, and then they got better. Um, with Harson, it's going to be tough for him to, to ever – like, especially in the SEC – I can't even imagine what kind of like a shell shock it was for him to go from the Mountain West and then be, be thrown in the SEC yeah. East. It's like, hey, have fun playing against LSU, Georgia, Bama, and Texas A&M every year. It's like, and and, and, cool. re and recruiting in spots where you have no historic history, where these guys have been there for a while and they know what they're doing. Yeah. Like okay. And yeah, I I couldn't imagine that had to have been just wild. Um, I would like to see how he does in the next few years if they keep him around at Auburn just because I think he's a good coach. Um, but, again, it's the same idea. It's like you're, take, you're taking a, another chance on the guy if you're Oregon and you're trying to hire him. And while I appreciate people taking chances, I don't think that this is the right chance to take. Um, I've, I'm a little – I guess I feel a little better about it than I do against, like, Wilcox or Kelly because we know what we're getting with them. With Harson, he's had one year in the Power Five conference. It was in the SEC. Maybe you give him another chance. It's again, it's not my favorite kind of candidate here, but it's different. Certainly different. But it, again, it can, it continues with the West Coast ties and being an Oregon person and having can just I, um, just recruiting background here. Yeah, what's up? I want to ask a question to you two. Um, I, and we've already said that there are undoubtedly going to be names that aren't publicly known that are attached to this job. Does 
the fact that it looks like it's going to be maybe difficult for Oregon to upgrade from Mario Cristobal make you appreciate him a little bit more of what he was able to do here. I only ask that because I think part of what's been difficult for, and you see it on the message board, is it? I think the sense was when he took the Miami job was we're going to go get somebody that's better than Mario. And the names that have been floated out don't all feel like upgrades. And that might be unfair to those coaches. I'm not mm -hmm. saying I'm not saying it's not because Mario had shortcomings. Certainly did. Right. I mean, you think about we talked about the offense not being up to par. I think certainly was not a good game manager from a clock perspective. Quarterback development was very poor. If you want to look through kind of just what we saw on the field, some of that's hard to know how it plays out because it was he inherited veteran quarterbacks. They had a weird COVID year. They got a graduate guy like we haven't ha seen him actually try to like build the player up. So maybe that's unfair. But like. What, how does the supposed, again, and I'm not saying this is a total dumpster fire and this is going terribly because I think a lot of the information is unknown. Do, does the, do the names that have popping out, because I don't think any of us are like jumping and screaming for joy about the names that are currently out there. Does that make you kind of feel like, okay, maybe Oregon had it a little better than, than we thought with Mario? I don't know. I, I think they were in a perfect spot with Mario because yeah. – it felt like there were two jobs that he would go for if they opened up Alabama and Miami. And they were recruiting at a level we've never seen before. I mean, it, it was proven that that crystal ball had the ability to always find a very good replacement for an assistant coach that moves on. Um, yeah. He, he has done a hires. really good job of hiring people. Fantastic. And he had the support of the of the, the boosters. The program basically gave him everything he wanted. He didn't have to have any kind of concessions if he needed, you know, a facility to be upgraded. And it felt like, you know, he was starting to we were starting to see a little bit of improvement in some of the areas of his on field yeah. deficiencies. Um you know, there were still issues, but it, it didn't seem like they were popping up as much. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it looks at – I think a way to look at it for me is the Duck fan probably sees Miami, and it's not anger. It's probably jealousy of we had that, and we could be having what Miami is going to have here in, in, in Oregon, and now it's not possible, or now it's a lot harder than it was going to be. I, yeah, I agree 100%. I always felt that this was an ideal situation for Oregon. They were on the up, uh, competing for playoff spots, recruiting at a top 10 level in the country, uh, pulling kids from all over the country too. Texas yep. kids, Georgia, Florida, uh, all the Southern California kids, keeping their good in-state recruits at home, um, just building up that uh, – that SEC type where it was iron sharpens iron every time of practice. It was four or five star kids on first team offense, defense going against four or five star kids on first team, second team on, uh, on defense. And, you know, that's, that, that shows on the field. Um, quarterback development has always been an issue seemingly. Um, we'll see if that becomes an issue at Miami too. Um, I just, yeah, Mario, I think the best thing about him was I think he was beginning to understand some of the deficiencies that were in his own coaching game in terms of play calling 
And I think that his hires over the last couple of years have been really good. Um, I thought bringing in Andy Avalos was, was great. Um, I was disappointed to see that he couldn't stick around. I thought, I think that he's going to be a tremendous defensive coach and right now he's a head coach at Boise state. Um, Joe Moorhead, really good hire. I just feel like Moorhead just wasn't given the correct opportunities because of the total lack of QB development in the last couple of years before him with Tyler Shuck. And that was a huge thing for Mario, who's like hiring the right dudes. And he always seemed to hire the right dudes after he went through a couple wide receiver coaches. But that's that was, you know, that is what it is. Um, so yeah, I think, Matt, I agree with you in the terms where it's not a hatred towards Miami or anything like that. It is more of a jealousy thing because Oregon was right there, it felt like. Felt like they needed one or two more years and to get all of the dudes that Mario had recruited the last couple of years with their top 10, top 15 classes, it all would have finally started to come together. Um, maybe Ty Thompson would have been the hero. Maybe he's not going to be the hero. Um, but it all kind of seemed to hinge on how Ty developed. And if Ty became this dude that everybody was talking about so highly, that might have been the, the one person to take them to that next level. And now Oregon fans are left wondering how it would actually turn out. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show this Friday weekend edition. Next time you'll hear us will probably be Monday, unless sometime between now, which is 11.02 a.m. on uh, Friday morning, uh, if a head coaching hire is made or if there's other, some kind of breaking news that happens with that. Um, so keep your eyes out. We may come back. If not, we'll talk to you on Monday. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you there, folks. Peace.